This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. I'd like to welcome you all here once again to End Time Apocalypse as we dig deep into the book of Revelation, into the very heart of the book of Revelation to discover God's wonderful message for us all, especially those of us who are living at the very end of time, at the climax of human history, awaiting the soon return of Jesus. This presentation I've entitled The Mark of the Beast and the Seal of God. So I want to welcome you all here. I want to welcome those who are watching wherever you may be around the world. A warm welcome to you. And I pray that you'll be thoroughly blessed through God's Word today. As always, before we open up God's Word, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray that the God that inspired this book, the Bible, will also inspire us as we journey through this all-important subject together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that the Holy Spirit that inspired the authors of the Bible will once again be present here and that the Holy Spirit will illuminate each and every scripture that will be shared so that the message may be clear, it may be convicting, and ultimately it may draw us closer to Jesus. For this is our prayer in His precious name. Amen. 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 I want to share with you right from the very outset that the book of Revelation is filled with opposites, many, many opposites. And I have a number of them here up on the screen. We have the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, versus the dragon, who is Satan. We have the New Jerusalem versus Babylon. We have the Holy Trinity on one side and the counterfeit Trinity on the other. We have God's final message of love, the three angels' messages. And then we have Satan's counterfeit, the three frogs in Revelation chapter 16. We have the commandment keepers, God's people, and then we have the commandment breakers. We have the virgin, a symbol of God's church, and then we have the harlot, a symbol of the counterfeit church. We have the bride and the lamb, and we have the harlot and the beast. We have the saved that inherit the new earth, and we have the lost who are sadly lost in the lake of fire. We have those who inherit eternal life, as well as those who sadly perish and suffer eternal death. We have the righteous and the unrighteous. We have the holy and the unholy. And we have the seal of God and the mark of the beast. So as you can see, we have these two opposites in Revelation. Uh, we have God's truth and then we have the enemy's counterfeit. And once again, we want to unpack uh, this all-important subject today of the mark of the beast and the seal of God. An extremely important message, especially for those who are living at the very end of time. So as we, as we continue together, we're going to ask some all-important questions. And the first question is, let's take a look at the structure of Revelation. I shared this in our previous presentation, and we discovered that at the very heart, the very climax of the book of Revelation is Revelation chapters 12 to 14. This is where God focuses his attention, especially for those who will be living at the end of time. We have the history of the Christian church from the days of Jesus Christ all the way to the end in Revelation chapter 12. The last verse of Revelation chapter 12 describes how Satan or describes who Satan in particular hates at the end of time. Revelation 13 describes how Satan seeks to destroy God's people. And then in Revelation chapter 14, we have the response from God, how he overcomes the enemy through his people who follow the lamb wherever he goes, 
share the three angels' messages, God's everlasting love, and await the coming of Jesus. So that's what we want to take a look at uh, in this presentation. We once again want to go to the book of Revelation. We want to go to Revelation chapter 14, and we want to take a look at this third and final message that brings the world to a point of decision. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 and following. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And then verse 12, we have these words. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here we have God's final message to the whole world. It's that third angel's message that divides the entire world into two camps. Those who are faithful to God and keep all of his commandments and those who worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. Now, the question is, would God tell us under no circumstances to worship the beast and his image and to receive his mark and then not make it abundantly clear who the beast is, what the image is, and ultimately what the mark of the beast is. Is that how God operates? It's not how God operates. God has never operated like that in all of Scripture. God has always made it abundantly clear what He invites His followers to, what He invites His followers to do based on Scripture. So we want to take a look at who these three entities are. The all-important beast what the mark of the beast is and what the image of the beast is. You would have noticed in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 to 11, that the beast, the image of the beast and the mark of the beast is mentioned not once but twice. At the very beginning of the third angel's message and towards the end of the third angel's message. Now, you and I need to know what these three entities are because this is speaking of those at the very end of time. And we'll look at that as we go along. Now, who is the beast? In our last presentation, we discovered that the beast represents the the Roman church state, the the Roman papacy, as it is also known, this religio-political system that sadly the enemy would use down through the centuries and ultimately use in a a grand way at the end of time in order to bring deception, in order to bring worship to the one who is behind this system, and that is the dragon, as we discovered from Revelation 13 verse 4, and that is Satan himself. So we have discovered that thus far. Now, once again, we need to make it abundantly clear that God is here speaking of an institution. He's speaking of a system that seeks to take away from the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone and not the people of this system. Are we clear on that? I made that abundantly clear in the previous presentation. And if you haven't had an opportunity uh, to view that, I would encourage you to do that as that presentation sets the foundation for this particular message that we want to look at. Uh, together today. Now, what is the mark of the beast? That is our question for today. That's the second of the three all important questions there in the third angel's message. Notice what 
Notice what the notice what many Christians believe. Many Christians and non-Christians believe that the mark of the beast is six six six. How many of you have heard that? Okay, many believe that that is the mark of the beast six six six. Well, that is not the mark of the beast. I don't have time to unpack for you what what six 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 represents that we find in Revelation chapter thirteen verse eighteen. It's simply one more identifying mark of this antichrist, this beast power in Revelation thirteen. But it is not the mark of the beast. Now, what is the mark of the beast? If you go to Google and you Google and you put in Mark of the Beast, um, you'll discover that there are over 80 million hits. Now, how on earth is someone supposed to go through all those websites in order to determine the truth? It's, it's next to impossible. Isn't that right? I mean, how long would it take you? How many lifetimes would you need to lead, live in order to go through all 83 million um, websites that mention or speak of the Mark of the Beast? Now, is it possible for you and I to understand the truth? Do you think it's, impo- do you think it's possible? Yeah. It is absolutely possible. For we discover that those who receive the mark of the beast, sadly, they will be lost forevermore. God makes it abundantly clear what the mark of the beast is. We've discovered that the beast power is none other than the Roman church state. So all we need to do is we need to ask, what is the mark of authority of the church of Rome? And there we will arrive at what the mark of the beast is. Does that make sense? Yes or no? It absolutely does. So let's find out what the mark of the beast is. Has God ensured that His end time truth is simple and clear? The answer is obvious. Absolutely indeed. Notice what we read in chapter in Amos, the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord God does how much? Nothing, Nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants who? The prophets. God does nothing, the Bible tells us, that is of eternal significance to you And to me, nothing that is of our eternal salvation without first making it abundantly clear. Just like any loving parent. I'm a parent. Many of you are parents. There are those who are parents out there. If there was something that was life-threatening in my home, I would ensure my child knew about that. Isn't that right? I wouldn't keep my child in, 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 in the dark. I would make it abundantly clear for the sake of my precious child. We are the precious children of God. There is an issue at the end of time relating to worship. And as we have discovered in our previous presentation, the central issue at the end of time is over worship. What's the central issue over? Worship. Who you will worship. Will you give your allegiance to the Creator God or will you give your allegiance to the creature? Jesus Christ or Satan. They are the two choices at the end of time. The issue is over worship. It always has been from the very beginning of time all the way through to the very end of time. In fact, the two very central chapters in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13 and chapter 14, the word worship appears no less than eight times. Seven in reference to worshiping this beast power that Satan uses to receive worship. And once for those that will worship the creator God. Worship is the central issue. And so God wants us to know. That's why he makes it abundantly clear. Did Jesus make it abundantly clear to those that would live in 70 AD when Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans, the temple would be destroyed as to how they could escape? 
Indeed he did. You read through the Gospels and Jesus made it abundantly clear how the Christians, his followers, could escape before the Romans came and destroyed the city and and more than a million lives were lost. Notice what we read in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall do what? Know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. God is in the business of sharing with us the truth. And the Bible clearly tells us that his word is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus operates in the light. The enemy operates in the shadows and in the darkness. If you and I abide in this book, we have the promise that we will know the truth, the truth that sets us free in Jesus Christ. Notice this scripture from the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, as to how we ought to relate to prophecy. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, writes Peter, which you do well to do what? To heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecies of no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here we're told in the scriptures that prophecy is not of private interpretation. In other words, you and I can only understand what the Bible is saying. We can only stand what the, understand what the book of Revelation is saying, what the symbols and what the message of the book of Revelation is when we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Does that make sense, yes or no? There's no way we can understand what the Bible is saying if we go to outside sources and come up with our own ideas, our own opinions in order to... In order to discover the truth about what God is saying. We must allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Scripture is not of private human interpretation. So this, this day, as we take a look at this message, we will allow Scripture to interpret itself. And by doing this, we will discover the truth on this all-important subject. Notice as we go on. Jesus shared on a number of occasions that you and I can know the truth and the truth can set us free. Revelation pictures two groups at the end of time. As I've already pointed out, we discover that one group has the seal of God on their forehead. They are the saved. The other group has the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their right hand, and they are lost. Now, why does one group have the mark of the beast on their forehead as well as on their hand? Well, we'll discover not in this particular presentation, but in the next presentation, that the enemy seeks to receive worship through two means. His two favorite methods are deception and coercion. What were they? Deception and coercion. Those who will not receive him and worship him willingly, they will be forced through coercion. And we're going to look at that in our next presentation. Whereas you can only receive the seal of God where? In your forehead. Only by choice. Only as an act of love and allegiance towards God. So we want to take a look at these two groups in this presentation, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Those who receive the seal of God cannot receive 
the mark of the beast. If you have the seal of God, you cannot receive the mark of the beast. So what we want to begin is we want to take a look at what is the seal of God. Because if you receive the seal of God, you cannot receive the mark of the beast. It's impossible. They are two opposites. Now, where in the Bible do we find God's seal? In particular, where in Revelation do we find God's seal? Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, writes John, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea or any tree. Here, John is describing God about to let loose the winds and in particular for the pouring out of the seven last plagues. And we discover from Revelation chapter 16 that those who have the mark of the beast, they receive God's seven last plagues at the end of time when probation has closed. That's what, that's what John here is describing. Notice we continue on in verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees till we have done what? Seal the servants of our God where? On their foreheads. So here we have God's servants, those who are loyal to Jesus Christ, those that have chosen to worship the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and they are sealed in their foreheads. Now, Revelation 14 continues to paint this picture of those who who are faithful to God, those who are sealed, those who do not receive the mark of the beast, but instead those who receive the seal of God and are faithful to God. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 14 and verses 1. Then I looked, writes John, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written where? On their foreheads. So in Revelation 7, we have God's people are sealed in their foreheads. In Revelation 14:1, we have God's people receiving the Father's name in their foreheads. Now, the seal and the name are synonymous. A name in the Bible represents character. Character. And so this pictures a group of people at the end of time who have the character of God. These are individuals who are described a little later on in Revelation 14 as those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are completely sold out to Jesus. They are faithful. They are loyal to Jesus. They follow Him. They worship Him no matter what the cost. So who is this group of people? That's what we want to take a look at in this presentation. Let's ask another important question as we seek to put the pieces together to discover what the seal of God is, and then we will easily understand what the mark of the beast is. What is the significance of having the seal of God or the Father's name on your forehead? Notice this scripture that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19, where the Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this what? Seal. There's that word again. The Lord knows those who are His. Let me just pause for a moment. The Lord knows those who are His because they have whose name on their forehead? They have the Father's name on their forehead. They have given their allegiance to their Heavenly Father, to Jesus Christ. They are safe and secure in His arms. Let's continue reading. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, I came across 
uh, devotional book that I was reading from Dwight Nelson. Uh, Dr. Dwight Nelson is also a pastor there in the United States of America in Pioneer Memorial Church. And in his devotional, he points out the significance of a seal. Notice these five points. Firstly, a seal is significant in, in that it proves ownership. It proves authenticity. It proves that you have approval. It's proof of irreversibility. You remember King Darius? Um, he signed a decree whereby if anyone worshipped any other God apart from the king for 30 days, that would be thrown in the lion's den. Do you remember that story in Daniel chapter 6? That law could not be changed. It was the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was sealed. It was irreversible. In the same way, when Jesus was buried, that tomb received the, the Roman seal. No one could open the seal because it had the Roman seal on the tomb of Jesus Christ. And number five, proof of likeness. Ancient kings used cylindrical seals to roll their likeness onto the soft wax so that all who would later see the seal would recognize the likeness of the king. I love that one because that tells me that God's seal is placed on those individuals who more than anything else in this world want to be more like Jesus. They want to be more like Christ in character, in deportment, in everything they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, what are the key ingredients contained in a seal? There are three key ingredients that each and every seal contains. An official government seal has these three elements, and they are the person's name, their title, and their dominion. These are the three elements that are that are all important when it comes to a seal. In fact, we have a seal on our currency, on our Australian currency. Here I have in my hand um, a $1 Australian coin. And on this $1 Australian coin, we have a seal. It authenticates this as genuine currency. And what do we have? We have these three elements. We have the person's name, we have their title and we have their dominion. And in the case of the Australian coin, as you can see up there on the screen, we have the name of the person um, who, who oversees this nation. We are part of, we are part of the Commonwealth um, of Nations. And we have the Queen. Her name, Elizabeth II. Her title is represented by, what do you think? By the crown? By the crown on her head, she's the queen, that's her title. And her dominion is Australia. Australia is part of the Commonwealth. We also have this seal whenever the United States president, or often I should say when the United States president stands up. When he stands up, he stands behind a pulpit. And on the pulpit you may have seen is this seal. Seal of the president of the United States of America. Whether it be... George Bush, whether it be President Obama or whether it be Donald Trump, we have that seal. Donald Trump, President of the United States of 
America. That's simply what a seal is. A seal authenticates a document and a seal helps us to know who the person is that is giving that seal. Now, where in the Bible do we find God's seal? Now, if God has told us, and He has told us very clearly, we've just discovered that from the book of Revelation, that God's people at the end of time will be sealed. They will have the Father's name written in their foreheads. Now, if that is so important, and it is, because this is a salvation issue, you will either be saved and receive the seal of God, or you will be eternally lost and receive the mark or the seal of the beast. God will make it abundantly clear in His Word where we are to find that seal. And by finding the seal, it will be very simple then for us to determine what the mark is, what the mark of the beast is. Well, we discover that the, that the seal is found in God's law. Notice what we read here in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Bind up the testimony. What's that next word? Seal, seal the what? The law. the law among my what? Disciples, seal the law amongst my disciples. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 3, we have those who have the seal of God and they are described as God's servants. Do you remember that? God's servants are His disciples. And so the Bible tells us that God's seal is to be found in His law that His disciples keep. Are we all on the same page? So where do we need to go in order to find God's seal? We need to go to His law. We need to go to His law of love. We need to go to the Ten Commandments. Now, as we have already pointed out, the Ten Commandments are the very foundation of God's government. The Ten Commandments are a transcript of God's very character. You remember when Jesus was asked what was the greatest law or what was most important? What did He say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, strength and mind, the first four commandments, and love your what? Neighbor as yourself, the last six commandments. God's law of love is the very foundation of God's government. As I've pointed out, it's the transcript of His character. So let's go to the Ten Commandments in order to find out where God's seal is. So where in the Ten Commandments do we find God's seal? Of all Ten Commandments, there is only one commandment that has those three elements. Do you remember what those three elements were? Name, title and dominion. Very good. Name, title, and dominion. And that commandment is none other than the Sabbath commandment. The fourth commandment. That's the only commandment where you'll find those three elements of a seal. The one who gives the law and that tells us who he is based on the fourth commandment. Let's take a look at it together. In, Revel sorry, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, we read these words. For in six days, the Lord, there is his name made. There is his title. He's a creator the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, that is His dominion. And He did what on the seventh day? And He rested on the seventh day. What's fascinating is that these words from the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11 are words that God shares with the entire world at the end of time to worship Him as the Creator. And we find these words centered right there in the very first angel's message in Revelation chapter 14. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. This is a message that needs to go to the entire world. John writes, saying with a loud voice, 
fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made what? Heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This language that John is using here in the book of Revelation is taken directly out of the fourth commandment, out of the Sabbath commandment. Let's notice that the first angel's message has the seal of God right there embedded in it. Notice, I've given you... The fourth commandment that we have just looked at, Exodus 20, 11, above and then below we have Revelation 14, 7. Notice, we have fear God and give glory to Him and worship Him. That is, there is His name, referring to God, who may, there is His title, His dominion, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So can you see that? In the first angel's message, we have God's truth as we have discovered. And we have, we have in the first angel's message, God's seal at the end of time. In fact, we have God's seal at the end of time, right there at the very beginning of time when God gave the Sabbath. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. And notice we find God's seal in the Sabbath, in the Sabbath blessing that He gave in the Garden of Eden. Then God, there is His name, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work. That is His dominion, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and all that is in them, which God had created and what? Made. There is His title. He is the Creator. So we have God's seal placed at the very beginning of time when God created this earth, when He gave that blessing to Adam and Eve, God's seal in the Ten Commandments, God's seal at the end of time. Why is this so significant? Because this helps you and I to understand that we belong to God, that we are created by God, that we have been made in His image for His purpose, and we have the opportunity to have an intimate relationship with Him. That is what the Sabbath is all about. Notice what we read in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. The Sabbath is indeed the seal of God, and, and it is made once again abundantly clear in this scripture in Ezekiel 20, verse 12. God says, Moreover, I also gave them my what? My Sabbaths to be a what? A sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath was to be a sign between God and His people. In the same way that couples who get married give one another a, a wedding ring. Isn't that right? What's a wedding ring? A wedding ring is simply to openly share with those around you that you belong to someone. It's a sign. It's an outward sign. In the same way, the Sabbath is God's sign between Him and His people. And at the end of time, Revelation describes it as God's seal. Seal and sign serve in the same way. They have exactly the same function to describe God's people and their, God's relationship with His people. So how are we sealed? Let's ask that all-important question. How are we sealed? Notice what we read. We read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul writes, And do not grieve the who? The Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were what? Sealed for the day of redemption. So who is it that seals us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that seals us. And the seal of God is the Sabbath that through the Holy Spirit, we receive that sealing and we receive that blessing. If you keep all of God's Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment, you cannot possibly get the mark of the beast. 
Is that absolutely clear? It is to me. When I read my Bible, I discover the amazing truth, the beautiful truth, that if I, by the grace of God and through His strength, not to be saved, but because I have been saved, am loyal to God, am loyal to Jesus Christ, and keep His commandments, all ten of them, including the one that most of the Christian world sadly have forgotten, that begins with the word remember. I am assured by the grace of God that I will have the seal of God. Have the seal of God. It's God giving me that gift as I show forth my allegiance to Him and to His wonderful sacrifice. Let me share with you Revelation 14, 11. I want to share with you something that I only discovered a few years ago as I was reading through Revelation 14, 11. <coughs> Reading these words that we've looked at earlier. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. I had read these words a number of times, and one day it hit me that those who worship the beast, those who worship his image, those who receive the mark, they have no what? Rest. No rest. (laughs) What is the Sabbath commandment all about? It's about rest. It's about resting in Jesus. It's about resting in His salvation. It's about realizing that I cannot do anything to earn my salvation. Nothing. And I rest in His grace. And that is what the Sabbath is all about. Sadly, those that have turned their back on their Creator, they've turned their back on the Sabbath. At the end of time, this will be the worship issue. It will be over worship. It will be over the Sabbath. They have no rest day or night. What did Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Does Jesus want to give rest to his people at the end of time? Indeed, he does. Indeed, he does. He invites us all to enter into his rest. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of there remains a rest for the people of God. And that's in the continuous tense. God invites each and every person to enter into the rest that Jesus provides. And the Sabbath is a symbol of that rest in so many beautiful ways. Notice what we read in Revelation 14, verse 12. Here God's people, those who are sealed at the end of time, those who have entered into His rest, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. God will have a people on planet earth at the end of time who are faithful, who are loyal to God and keep all of His commandments. You see, it's easy for you and for me to say that I love God. But loyalty is shown through obedience. The highest, form of a, the highest form of loyalty that you can show someone is obedience. Isn't that right? That's what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. When I got married some 23 years ago, I made a commitment to my wife. There were wedding vows that were exchanged, wedding vows of commitment, wedding wedding vows of loyalty, wedding vows, dare I use the word, of obedience. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. 
Obedience is not a bad word. Obedience is all about loyalty. It's all all about commitment. And God will have at the end of time, according to Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, those who do not worship the beast or his image or receive his mark. Instead, they are described as those who are loyal to God. They keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. Two groups at the end of time. One group worship, sadly, the dragon and receive his mark and the others worship the lamb and receive his seal. So the question is, and it's an elementary question, what is the mark of the beast? Now that we know that the seal of God is the Sabbath and we know that in Revelation there are opposites, countless opposites, as we have already discovered right at the very beginning of this presentation. The opposite to the Sabbath is none other than what? The first day of the week, Sunday. That's the opposite to the Sabbath. It's not difficult to find out. You don't need to go to 80 odd million websites in order to discover the truth. It's very simple. And we receive all that from Scripture. Now, let's go a little bit further. Notice what we have in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, where God some two and a half thousand years ago predicted what would take place. He, that is this power that we identified in our previous presentation as the, as the Roman papacy, would intend to change times and what? Law. Law. God predicted that this political religious institution would seek to tamper with God's law, and not only tamper with God's law, but would seek to change God's very Ten Commandments. His very Ten Commandments. The commandments are clear, absolutely crystal clear, written by God with His very own finger. And yet this institution would seek to change God's holy law. Holy law. The Apostle Paul wrote about what would take place. And notice what he wrote. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, we read these words. The Apostle Paul writes, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, speaking of the coming of Jesus, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is what? Worship. There's that word again. So that he sits as who? As God in the temple of God, showing himself that he's what? God. So there is a power. And the Apostle Paul here is describing, sadly, the the apostate Christian church that fell away from Bible truth, apostasy, apostasia. And, and, And the Apostle Paul describes this power as the man of sin. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 defines what sin is for us. One definition, and that is that sin is what? Lawlessness, breaking God's law, tampering with God's law. And that is exactly what we find taking place down through the Christian, uh, down through the centuries um, by the apostate Christian church. Notice what the church says regarding uh, the head of the church, the Bishop of Rome. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify change interesting language that we find in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, or interpret even what? Divine laws. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man, but of who? 
of God. And that's from the Catholic Ferraris Ecclesiastical Dictionary. So the Church of Rome claims that it has the power, that God has given it the power in order to change, reinterpret even God's Ten Commandments. That's exactly what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That is exactly what God said in Daniel 7 verse 25 would take place during the Christian era. And we can see that. And the church acknowledges that that is the reason why it claims to change the law of God because it has been given that power from God. As we discovered in our, in our previous presentation, um, sadly, and this is the reality I have to share the reality as it is. The truth is that that the Church of Rome has committed blasphemy on two counts. Number one, claiming claiming to be God on earth. That's blasphemy according to Scripture. And secondly, claiming to forgive sins, which belongs to God and God alone. So the Bible tells us that this would be the case. And today we have the evidence for that. Notice this... uh, this, this announcement that is made, this announcement is made in Latin. Before I read it to you, let me just give you the context. Uh, when a new pope is elected, you've seen pictures. They, they, they're there on, in St. Peter's Basilica. They're, they're up there on that veranda or whatever it's called up there. And, and they are introduced before the world as the new pope. You may remember that. You've probably seen pictures of that, I'm sure. Well, when the new pope, the new pontiff is, is welcomed onto the stage when he is introduced to the world. These words that I have, that I've, um, changed, uh, that I've put into English are spoken in Latin. Now, I didn't know what the words are because they're in Latin and I don't speak Latin. But these are the words that are spoken by the person who introduces the Pope. And in this case, it was the the, the last Pope, the current Pope that we have, that is Pope Francis. Notice these words. I announce to you a great joy. We have a Pope, the most eminent and reverend Lord, Lord Jorge Mario Bergogli, Cardinal of the Holy Roman Church. Jorge Mario Borgoga, who takes to himself the name Francis. Did you notice in those words? We have a Pope, the most eminent and reverent Lord, and not mentioned once but twice. So right from the very outset, as the pontiff is is invited to lead 1.2 billion Roman Catholics, he is introduced to the world as Lord, the eminent Lord. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because dignitaries, politicians, presidents, kings and queens, when they refer to the Pope, they often will refer to him as Holy Father or Your Holiness. Those terms, Holy Father, Your Holiness, they belong to who alone? To God alone. They don't belong to any mere mortal. But the church claims that the Pope is God's representative on earth. And in that way, has all the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. The last time I checked my Bible, Jesus said, I am leaving and I'm sending you my representative. And he didn't say that his representative would be Peter and those who would succeed Peter. But his representative would be the Holy Spirit. Who would be the Holy Spirit that Jesus would send in his name? 
It would be the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all truth. No human being, no human institution has, has, the, has the right to claim to be God on earth, to stand in between humans and God. Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, is our representative. I have here in my hand the Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. It's a, it's a catechism that is used to, to teach um, Roman Catholics um, what the church believes, what the church teaches, what the church practices. And it's also uh, a document that others can read in order to find out what the church believes and teaches. Notice this question and answer um, that, I, that I found in this little booklet. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? The answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. So the church is very open, very honest. And I praise the Lord that the church is open and honest. I praise the Lord for that fact. It doesn't make it right. Certainly not. But the church is at least open and honest. And the church simply says the reason why we observe Sunday, the first day of the week, rather than Saturday, the seventh day of the week, is because we change the day of worship from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. What did God say in Daniel 7.25? There would come a power that would seek to do what? To change times and laws. And so today, we are simply living out. Christianity today is living out this change that has taken place hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, after the time of Christ, after the time of the disciples. Notice these words from the Catholic Record of London, Ontario, Canada, September 1, 1923. Sunday is our our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. The church openly states, and that's from a church source, the church openly states that Sunday is its special mark of authority. And, and, and you and I ought not to wonder and be confused about that statement because at the very heart of God's law is the Sabbath. And at the very heart of God's Sabbath is His seal. The Sabbath tells us who gave the commandments of God. The Sabbath tells us where we came from, that we were created by a loving God. The Sabbath tells us everything, who we are, what we are, and ultimately where we are going. The Sabbath is God's final sign at the end of time. Does anyone have the mark of the beast today? That's a good question that I'm often asked. After, after getting to this point in the presentation, uh, those who are, are worshipping on Sunday or have loved ones, friends that worship on Sunday, they, they, are, they are very anxious. And they ask this question, do those who worship on Sunday today, do they have the mark of the beast? What's the answer? Well, the answer comes to us from the book of Revelation. Notice what we discover. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. We'll answer that question by reading this scripture. John writes, He causes all, that is, this power that we're going to identify in just a little bit. I almost did. (laughs) 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may do what? Buy or what? Sell, except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation tells us that at the very end of time, just before Jesus comes, at the very end of time, there will be those who will not be able to buy and sell unless they have this mark of authority that will be imposed worldwide. Now, how will that happen? We'll get to that in our next presentation. Does anyone have the mark of the beast today? The answer is what? No. No. Why? Because I worship God on the seventh day Sabbath and I can buy and I can sell. Amen? So if you can buy and sell today, that means the mark of the beast has not been imposed. But the day is coming. The day is coming. Revelation makes that abundantly clear when unless you are willing to go with this new worldwide religious system that will be established, you will not be able to buy or sell unless unless you set aside Sunday. And I don't know what that's going to look like. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the Bible simply says that Sunday will one day become, will one day become the sign of allegiance to this new worldwide system that will seek to impose worship, even at the cost of not being able to buy and sell. In fact, we're going to look at what else will be instituted for those who will not be able to buy and sell in our next presentation. But let's ask this question as we seek to land. Is there a growing call to set aside Sunday as a special day for worship, family and rest? Indeed, there is. Notice back in 1998, Pope John Paul II, he put out this encyclical that had some 80 odd points, um, a number of pages, and it was entitled Days Domini back on the 31st of May, 1998. Days Domini, Latin for the day of the Lord. And in this encyclical, Pope John Paul II stated the importance of keeping the Lord's day holy for family, for rest, for relationships, for health, and so on and so forth. Notice how, notice how the encyclical begins. Just reading to you that first point there. The Lord's Day as Sunday was called from apostolic times. Let's just pause there for a moment. I think our dear friend Pope John Paul II got that awfully wrong. Because the last time I read my Bible, the Bible tells me that the Lord's Day is not Sunday, from apostolic times. The Lord's day, according to the commandment, is what day? It's a Sabbath day. Jesus said in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the Lord's day, not the first day of the week. Notice, as, as, as we take a look at this, this growing insistence to keep Sunday holy, we have this, we have uh, this, this news article that I came across from the, from the Vatican news source, um, the title, Pope. This is from Pope Benedict. A family's right to work and Sunday rest. Here's another one. This time from Pope Francis. This is what he had to say back in July of 2014. This was the title. Keeping stores open on Sunday is not beneficial for society. Pope Francis. Notice these words underneath this subheading. 
Pope Francis says opening businesses on Sundays is not beneficial for society because the priority should be not economic, but what? but human, and that the stress should be on families and friendships and not on commercial relationships. Pope Francis has been sharing over and over again that what is important at the end of the day is not profit, but people. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Families are disintegrating before our very eyes. Marriages are disintegrating. People are under more and more stress and anxiety chasing the almighty dollar. And Pope Francis is saying we need to get back to Sunday because Sunday worship, Sunday rest brings families closer together. It's good for the environment, many will say, where we set aside one day to reconnect, one day to rest, one day to refresh. And the day that is being put forth over and over again is Sunday. And it's not only from the Church of Rome. Notice this. This is from a website that I came across, the Lord's Day Alliance of the United States. Um, This is by a group of evangelical leaders and lay people that are seeking to institute the Lord's Day or Sunday um, for the entire nation, for the entire United States. Notice the the title, Sunday as a what? Mark of what? Of Christian unity. I found that fascinating. Sunday as a mark of of Christian unity. And the Bible indeed says that at the end of time, Sunday will not only be a mark of Christian unity, but Sunday will be the mark, the mark that will unite the entire world in allegiance and worship to not Jesus Christ, but the Antichrist, who ultimately is being used by Satan himself. It will be the mark at the end of time, but not in a positive way. This was another website that I came across, Keep Sunday Special, and this is from England. Um, And and there's a group of Christians there that are seeking to keep Sunday special uh, for the sake of family, for the sake of health, uh, for the sake of financial well-being, for the sake of getting our priorities back on track. Because the truth is, our priorities have gone out the window, haven't they? Especially in the Western world. And the church... The churches, both Roman Catholic and other Christian churches, are coming together to seek to bring about a way to get us all back on track. Now, how will Sunday be enforced around the world as a day dedicated to worship, family and rest? We're going to take a look at that in our next presentation when we take a look at the United States role in Bible prophecy. The United States of America will play the leading role in enforcing Sunday as the day of rest, Sunday as the day of allegiance to the enemy. The United States of America will take that leading role. It's sad to even think about, let alone to contemplate, let alone read from Revelation that this will be the case. This nation that God has blessed more than any other nation upon whom the sun shines. This nation that has been blessed beyond measure. This nation that has begun on the right foot, on the right platform will sadly turn its back on Jesus Christ. Turn its back on its foundations that it was established on. We're going to take a look at that in our next presentation. How the United States will lead the world in bringing about that final issue of worship to a head.
that issue between the people of God who receive the seal of God, who worship God according to His ways, according to His laws, according to His word, and honor and keep the Creator by honoring the Sabbath day that He has given as a memorial of His creation and that group of people who will choose to turn their backs on the Creator and will instead worship the creature rather than the Creator. I want to finish off with this scripture in John chapter 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, If you love me, keep my what? Keep my commandments. It's all about love. If you love me, keep my commandments. Today, Jesus is inviting us, those of us who are here. He's inviting you wherever you may be. He's inviting us all to show our loyalty to Jesus Christ by worshipping Him on the day that He has set aside for worship, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, by keeping His commandments, His commandments of love. What are His commandments? His commandments are commandments of love. I want to thank God for His Word. I want to thank God that He has made it abundantly clear what His truth is, that in this presentation, through God's Word, not through what I have said, but through what God has said in His Word, as we have compared Scripture and Scripture, we have discovered the wonderful truth of God and His plans for us and how we can be sealed forevermore and enjoy eternal presence with Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much that at the end of time, when the deceptions are greater than they have ever been, You have given us the the sure word of prophecy that helps us to know and understand how we can remain faithful and loyal to You in the midst of deception, in the midst of coercion, in the midst of everything the enemy will throw that the enemy will throw at us. I pray that you'll bless us, keep us close to Jesus, keep us in His Word. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.